Welcome to Cloud Native Startup, where we explore what it takes to build a company in the open source cloud native ecosystem. I'm Emily O'Meara, your host. Today, I am chatting with Avi Press, who is the CEO and co-founder of Scarf. Avi, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation for a number of reasons. But the first thing that I wanted to ask you or have you talk about is the idea behind Scarf. So Scarf, for listeners who probably haven't heard of it, is a company that's dedicated to giving maintainers, open source maintainers, more transparency in how their project is actually used. So Avi, I was hoping you could talk actually a little bit about how you had this idea. Definitely. The culmination for Scarf was something that was really personal problems to me that I was having, both as a software engineer in the industry and then also as an open source maintainer. So after school, I was a software engineer at Pandora for a few years. And there were times where I would run into a bug in some open source library we were using. And really the best that we had was just, you know, you open an issue on GitHub and you just kind of hope for the best. Otherwise, work on a workaround. Maybe weeks of time I get drained into that. And so it was clear that we had, what I wish we had was just more solid relationships with the maintainers that were building the software that our stack relied on. Ultimately, continue working and then forgot all about that problem, I guess, over time. But then down the road, I found myself as an early engineer at a few different startups in the Bay Area. And at one of them, I was on a really small team. It was like a five-person team. And I was, so I was building a lot of developer tools just for our own workflow. So I had built an integration testing framework, a code-based scanner for to-dos so you could track them and manage them. And I open-sourced these tools as I was building them and found myself in a position where the startup I was at was relying on these tools very heavily. When I open source them, other people and other companies are relying on them. And I'm just, you know, maintaining these tools in my spare time and having no idea really how they were actually getting used. All I knew was, oh, you know, someone who's, you know, at Adobe is pinging me complaining about some bug that's, you know, affecting him in this way. And I didn't even really know how much they were relying on it. And over time, with enough people reaching out from companies that were using my tool, I decided maybe I had a commercial opportunity to actually build a business around some of my tools. The problem was I didn't really have any data to work with. And so I didn't really know if that was a good idea. <laughs> I had these pings on GitHub, but I didn't really know anything more about how, how these tools were actually being leveraged. And so that was what got me really thinking deeply about this problem of we put our packages on these package registries, you know, maybe that's Docker Hub, maybe that's NPM or otherwise, and really all you get is that download count and you have nothing beyond that. It's not the same as these other kinds of, in like the SaaS world, in the web world, these are solved problems. But open source maintainers, on the other hand, have a much stricter standard in terms of what data is collected and what is not in terms of how the open source community generally responds to these kinds of things. And so really this problem of connecting you know the businesses to the maintainers that they rely on as well as having more data-driven maintainers and having more just more generally equipped maintainers to do their jobs effectively is what i started thinking really deeply about as a maintainer and scarf is the culmination of the solutions that we've thought of to address that so did you end up pursuing a business with your original sort of suite of open source offerings 
I tried for a bit, yeah, and just totally failed, completely failed. So one of my tools is like a command line tool, and I tried building in some premium features that then I would sell a license to. And even trying to figure out how to do that was really non-trivial. I mean, you know, setting up like an online store where people can download a license and then the tool would validate that license and then give access to some other features. And I ended up doing a lot of work that ultimately did not lead anywhere. And I think had I just had more data about how often these things were getting used, I may have been able to just know like, yeah, you know, people are asking me for stuff, but ultimately it's not being relied on heavily enough. This is not an endeavor worth pursuing. Or maybe I would have been able to actually know ahead of time. Actually, there were more companies using my tool, but I just didn't know about it and I didn't know to who to reach out to about it. So without that data, it was not a successful endeavor. And I know that having better usage data would have definitely either saved me time or made it more successful. Yeah. I mean, you point out a really interesting fact, which is that it's not really just how many people use your open source project, but especially if you're thinking about commercializing it, it's like, how critical is it? Right. I mean, you'd rather have 10 users who are like completely dependent on it and, you know, are going to have to pay through the nose or be very willing to pay through the nose to get additional features versus having a thousand people who are like, eh, it's kind of nice. Right, exactly. And those exact questions are the hardest to answer currently where... You know, we're just distributing libraries and binaries and packages to each other and just having absolutely no idea how they're getting leveraged. And so that knowledge, that gap of information, I think, has a lot of downstream effects. It's very common where a company will reach out to a developer for help or support or something and maybe relying on it very heavily. And that maintainer just had no idea. And there's a lot of, I think, kind of lost efficiency as a result of that, that just by, you know, we, we talk a lot about sharing code with each other, but we're much less open about, you know, just communicating with each other about how we're using these tools. And I think that we should really extend that open source ethos to also this kind of thing about usage metrics as well. So how does a maintainer go about using Scarf and what do they get out of it? Like what concretely are the metrics that they're going to get out of it? Let's start there. I have another related question. But. Yeah, so Scarf currently comprises a suite of different tools. And so the data that you can get out of the tools depends on which one we're talking about. And those vary based on what ecosystem we're talking about. And so I can start with the main like flagship product that we have is called Scarf Gateway. And the idea is that is a redirect and proxy layer that you can put in front of anything that you distribute for downloads. So currently like that might look like a Docker container. So instead of saying, you know, Docker pull some image and go straight to Docker Hub, you can have them say Docker pull your domain.com slash your image, and we'll just redirect over to Docker Hub, but then we can expose that information to you. Similar with like file downloads, if you have, say, releases on GitHub releases, or you put them in S3. And so basically, we're just trying to sit in front of wherever you're hosting your artifacts. With that approach, we can tell you quite a bit about the traffic. So for any given poll, say, that comes into your container, you know, we can tell you where in the world it came from. If it came from a cloud provider, say, like Amazon or GCP, we can tell you that. If it was from, you know, someone at you know, Apple or, you know, at a, at a company, we can also give you the commercial information associated with that poll, you know, as well as the tag, the architecture, the platform, 
if you had two polls, whether they came from the same source or not. So, you know, not just getting like, how many polls did I have today, but how many unique polls were there today? And really just like all the kinds of metrics that are really just locked away inside these registries, but are there, we can expose and make sure that the maintainers have access to that data. We also have tools for pixel tracking for open source documentation. So kind of regardless of where your docs, your readme might get, you know, rendered on Docker Hub or GitHub or your website, or even in your user's editors, if they're, you know, perusing it um, kind of locally. And we can then kind of give more information on how those docs are getting viewed, which companies are looking at them, how frequently, which pages on the docs, on what site, how did they get there? All those kinds of things where it's not on your domain, and you also certainly can't run JavaScript there, but image loading can give a little bit of visibility into that. And so we offer free tools for that as well. I think where this gets really cool is that these tools start to fit together. And so if you put out a, an ad on Twitter or Reddit or something, and they land on your Docker Hub readme, you can see that. And then, oh, look, they pulled the container down, and here's the version they pulled down. And, oh, you know, then they then they went and did this and they did that. And you can start to track the journey that someone has with your open source tooling. And we're starting to put those pieces together. That's really cool. And one thing that it sort of makes me think is, I mean, these are the kind of metrics that the marketing department at a company would have. I know a lot of open source maintainers don't like to think of themselves as marketing departments. So... How do they need to shift their mentality away from we're just kind of putting this out there and people will find us to know we're going to be very intentional about getting this information and taking action based on what we find? Yeah, I'd make a couple points to that. So one is that collecting metrics, the scope of that is much broader than just marketing, I would say. So even if you have absolutely zero interest in, say, commercializing your project, that doesn't mean you shouldn't know what's going on with the software, especially if it's you, if your software is being relied on in production other places and you don't know about that, well, you're potentially doing your users a little bit of a disservice by not going about maintenance in a quantitative way, in a data-driven way. So it can even help you prioritize your features. It can help you spot issues earlier and just be a more efficient maintainer and be less reactive and be more proactive with your time. But I think to answer the question more directly about marketing and shifting the mentality there, I think marketing you know, generally is a very underrated part of open source broadly. I mean, even the readme, the branding of your project, all of those things are marketing. And you know, if you want to grow your community, that's marketing. If you want people to use it, that's all marketing. And so I think that in general, developers that want to foster a successful open source project are just doing themselves a huge disservice by not doing any marketing. You could build the most amazing tool that, you know, on the market for whatever domain and problem you're trying to solve. But if no one knows about it, you have effectively wasted a lot of your time. And so I think just being intentional about what your goals are with your project and then for any given goal, there's something that you're going to want to track with that and being intentional about what those metrics are and then making sure that you're measuring them. That's a really good point about being intentional. I think it's really important to recognize that there's not only one definition of what success looks like, particularly for an open source project. And so you kind of have to define for yourself what success is going to look like. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of times where people are like, yeah, you know, I built this tool. I might as well just open source it. And, and you know, maybe you don't have any goals and, and, and that's fine. But I think if it's something that you're continuing to invest a lot of your time in, there's, I think, very little logical reason to not be trying to achieve something with that time and to, to make sure you're, you're being efficient with it. Even more so if you're trying to build a business, I think. The moment you decide, yeah, we want to commercialize this in some way, metrics are immediately just very crucial. And the open source space has just been really, really lacking in that way for a lot of good historical reasons. But those good historical reasons are becoming a lot less good, <laughs> a lot worse, a lot more antiquated. And I think the longer the, longer the open source ecosystem as a whole continues to permeate every part of our lives, that gap in information and in observability affects more and more people. And this is going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And how do you see getting these metrics as sort of facilitating better conversations as well, or at least allowing maintainers to not just get the metrics on the whole, but also reach out directly and get that information about not just the sort of qualitative information that you can get from SCARF, but also sort of the, the more human side of how important is this to you or what made you download it in the first place? If you are a SCARF user, that the company information that you get from our data, you know, well and away the most valuable information that we provide. And it really, and I think this is especially relevant for the businesses that your open source project can really be the top of funnel for your business. If you're selling a cloud product around a piece of open source, those open source users are the best leads for your business, period, because they're already, you know, they're already in, they're already using it, they're they're relying on it. And so I think what Scarf is turning into is like kind of that, you know, the 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 foundation for that product-led growth strategy to just know who your users are and connect with them. And you know, really at the end of the day, open source is just all about, you know, people sharing code and having better visibility into who those companies are gives you something to work with so you can actually go reach out and contact them. You know, we're obviously very careful with how we handle things like, you know, we're not storing personally identifiable information or anything like that. But knowing that a business is relying on you gives you something to work with so you can actually go connect with them to figure out who it is and go from there. And so just having a way that end users of an open source project can be contributing to that project just by using it. I think is like a really huge shift here where, you know, before it's like, oh, if you want to support open source, you can contribute or you can pay them. And now we're saying, no, literally just by using it, you're providing that maintainer with valuable information about their project. And that's, that's useful to them. You've helped in some way, even if it's small. And so, yeah, I think, you know, really just connecting these projects to their users just has a huge variety of beneficial effects on both sides and for the ecosystem as a whole. And so really that's what we see as what we're doing here by providing that infrastructure and that tool chain. Do you have any examples of how this has given a maintainer in a specific situation better or more detailed information that they've been able to act on? Yeah, we see this all the way from indie JavaScript developers that have been using us that'll like, you know, see, <laughs> like I won't name names, but I guess, you know, I, 
developer will see, for instance, Uber shows up in their scarf data, and then they tweet at Uber engineering, hey, I see you're using my JavaScript library, you should sponsor the project. And then they did. Things like that, I think, are really cool, where it's just like, you never really knew to ask them to sponsor. But once you knew and you went and did, oh, look, that actually worked and converted. And like, how would you have done that otherwise? But then all the way up to larger, you know, startups and businesses that are using scarf data, you know, in their their weekly sales and marketing meetings to know who that lead list is and have a bit more of an efficient sales process. I've had other founders reach out to me and say that they're showing their scarf data to investors to show that like, look, stars have actually been pretty stagnant in the last month, but commercial usage is actually way up and that helped us with the pitch and with the raise. And so I think one of the cool things with this is that we don't even know all the different ways that people are going to use this data, much like, you know, you put an open source tool out there and it'll probably get leveraged in ways you didn't expect. It's the same with this data. It's useful in a lot of different ways. That's fabulous. And I love the example with the stars because I know everyone talks a lot about stars, but it's just so nebulous and so disconnected from actual usage that it's yeah. kind of meaningless. You can buy stars, but you cannot buy, or I mean, I guess you can buy, you can buy a lot of things, but it's much harder to buy real users than it is to buy stars. Yeah, that's pretty intense. What are some of the things that you think are still unsolved by Scarf? Like, what do you think are areas where even with Scarf, you just don't have enough visibility? In terms of analytics and stuff, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot that we have to build still. So for instance, right now, Scarf Gateway has, you know, native support for like file downloads and Docker packages, but we're also working on Python and Java and Ruby and all the other languages. So just really expanding our like ecosystem coverage, I think is a big thing for us. More granular instrumentation. I think Gateway stuff is really a lot about downloads and then for Docker, like invocations of the container we can't really tell you much about more granular usage if you're wanting to track those kinds of things. So that's something that we're thinking through in a way, like how do we do that kind of thing without compromising user privacy? So I think, you know, that gap between what Scarf provides and what, you know, if you were having full-blown telemetry in a SaaS product, like very different granularities of metrics there. And, you know, we'll just continue to push that and give people more and more visibility as time goes on. I think beyond that, the thing that comes up more and more for us is where I'll have people reach out to me and say, okay, great, we see all this company data in our Scarf dashboard, but now what? What do we do with that? Because you know, we're not telling you like this person with this email address downloaded it because that would require us to store identifiable information that wouldn't be GDPR compliant, that those kinds of things. But one of the things that we're working on in the long run is like building relationships with a lot of these companies so that you know, if we, for instance, help broker a support contract between some project and one of their commercial users, well, then when the next person, when the next maintainer comes along that is also being used by that company, we already know exactly who to put them in touch with and we can help facilitate that. So I think in that way, you know, we have a lot of technical challenges ahead, but also just a lot of more, you know, social ones and networking ones and just being able to more broadly connect these companies to these maintainers like at scale in a way that is much harder for us to do right now, both on the analytics side and then on the monetization side. And we're working through both of those things now. And do you think that open source will ever get SaaS level analytics? Broadly, I don't think so. I don't think that, for instance, like 
the library ecosystem should have that kind of baked in telemetry to really deeply rooted dependencies and kind of the average dependency tree. Like that's not where we're trying to head with this, but there are lots of open source products that that is appropriate for. And we want to make sure that that can be done in a way that is safe and secure and that kind of thing. Like it would be a very bad state of affairs if you run NPM install on your project and you then have a thousand different libraries talking to a thousand different backends. That would be a very bad state of open source. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is just like build much more standardized ways of tracking this information that's much more baked into the current distribution model, the registry. These package registries, these container registries have a lot of information just kind of locked away that they're not really using and they're not sharing with the maintainers. And so we're just trying to unlock that. So yeah, I think to more directly sum that up, no, I don't think the open source at large ecosystem will ever really have like SaaS level telemetry on the whole, but there's still a long way to go that would be you know, actually good and beneficial that are very short of that. That would still be really helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it, it really sounds like this could sort of revolutionize the open source ecosystem. And I almost want to use professionalize, allow people to bring a level of commitment or professionalism to managing not just the technology in their open source project, but also, you know, the things like marketing or even, you know, proactively being aware of potential bugs or issues and then working on them. So, yeah, I mean, it just seems like a sort of a step towards making open source a little bit less of a Wild West. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's many aspects to that Wild West that are wonderful and should continue to be cultivated and and supported. But at the same time, there's a huge amounts of these projects that are really, really crucial to a lot of important parts of our lives. And I think, you know, the world that we're trying to build here is just that if you are a developer and you build tools that are relied on by big companies and relied on in a way that contributes to those companies' bottom line, you should be able to support yourself with that. That's valuable work and you should be able to support yourself with that work. And just really that ethos that like people should be paid for their work if they want to be, period. And whatever we can do to help realize that vision is kind of the direction that SCARF is going to go. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about privacy, because as we're talking, I'm just I'm thinking of like some devil's advocate scenarios. Like, let's say that I'm going to pull a bunch of open source projects and I'm I'm using it to do something that many people would find morally dubious or perhaps evil. Would this make it? more challenging to to do that or you know the maintainer find out that i've just pulled their project and i'm using it to i don't know create a biological weapon or do something terrible yeah it's a great question so i think the one point to really underline is that we're not storing personally identifiable information so if you were you know wanting to do something nefarious and you wanted to pull down projects that were being powered with scarf there's nothing that we can really do to tell the maintainer hey this person this particular person is downloading your stuff you know should we block their traffic or something like that that's not something that we're able to do but it can tell you about the companies because you know that that's just metadata associated to IP addresses and information like that. And so if, for instance, 
if like ICE were to come up, like we, we do see government agencies come up in SCARF data. And that's the kind of thing that we can actually tell the maintainer about them. Like, hey, it looks like ICE is actually using your library. Like we SCARF the business, we're just showing you what's happening. Nothing beyond that. And so it's one of those things that at least the, we can put at least the maintainer in a position where they know about it. What they want to do with that information is not really something that we're addressing at this time. But it's a really interesting question going forward because, you know, I think there's differing opinions on what should a maintainer do with that knowledge and like how would they prevent their code from being used in ways that they don't agree with. And, you know, I think the open source purists would say like, this is baked into the ethos of open source that it is available for everyone, period. And it kind of transcends these kinds of cultural or moral divides. And that's part of the beauty of it. Other people have a very different opinion that I want my software to be used by everyone or just these people or not those people. And ultimately, it's your code and you should be able to do what you want with it. And where SCARF comes in is that we give maintainers more ownership of their distribution channels. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the code being out there and in the public versus here's where businesses are going to get it and here's where they are fetching it at runtime and build time, et cetera, are two very different things. And companies rely on these distribution channels and we want to provide more leverage over those distribution channels to the maintainers. And that's like a really core idea to what we do. By providing more leverage over the distribution channel, you have more leverage for value capture. You have more leverage for data capture. You have just more ownership of really the marketing that you do. Getting people to download an artifact from a particular URL versus another one is like totally on your ability to make that URL known and get people to use it. And so it's our philosophy that that URL should be yours, not whatever platform you happen to be locked into. And that's one of the really cool things about this, because if it turns out that, oh, your registry has some policy that you don't like, with Scarf, it's really easy to move off of it because your actual, the, the URL that your users are actually pulling from doesn't have to change. Like we can swap backend registries instantaneously without interrupting traffic. And so <laughs> to get back to like the, the, the original spirit of the question is like, I don't think that's necessarily up for Scarf to decide how we weigh in on why a particular piece of software is being used. What we want to do is make sure that the maintainers can make that choice for themselves. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that is an important distinction, but certainly like providing more information. And I realized like I, in my example, I was thinking of someone who wanted to do, you know, use it for something that might be considered like universally bad was what I was first envisioning. But the fact is that there's lots of things that some people think are good and others do not agree or that are not illegal, for example, but that as an open source maintainer, you you may or may not feel okay about having someone use your intellectual property for that cause. Right. And I think that's, this is coming up more and more these days. (laughs) The idea that that code is your intellectual property and you have control over what is done with it, with the other ideals of open source, or like they're not the most compatible. And so I think that's a really interesting place where SCARF is coming in is that we're saying, yeah, the property that is the property that the code comprises versus the property that these distribution channels comprise are different things and we haven't been treating them that way. And where that has left us is in a world where 
these registries, these platforms have really outsized control over the open source ecosystem. And that needs to change. That is actually a very interesting point of view. I was just about to bring it up again. And I have not heard people talk about registry lock-in before. And as soon as you started talking, I was like, wait, why isn't this a discussion? Yeah, it's really underrated. It's a really underrated problem, I think. And, you know, we see that it comes up in a lot of places, like this data problem that we're talking about. It's not like people haven't asked the registries for this information. You can see tons of issues on GitHub of just about every open source registry, which is most of them, and they want metrics. And you'll see, you'll see like CTOs of these companies saying like, yeah, we're not going to do that and close the issue or something. And it's like, that's, you're kind of just, that's really all you can do about it is just ask. And there's really no more, there's really no more options because JavaScript is just locked into NPM and that's just kind of the way it is. And, you know, Obviously, with some exceptions, there's other projects popping up that are trying to challenge NPM in different ways. But ultimately, Microsoft has a pretty tight grasp on JavaScript these days and a whole other topic of if that's a good or bad thing and you know to what degrees. But ultimately, that leverage is not being kept with the maintainers and, and SCARP is just unequivocally pro-maintainer. Excellent. I mean, it sounds like some of the lack of analytics or lack of data is almost like a direct result of registry lock-in because presumably the registries themselves are not actually that concerned that the maintainers will just like go elsewhere. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. And this leads to a lot of that stagnation because basically the registry's incentives are to increase that lock-in. It's not to build a better product. And so we see scarf's initiatives as a way to make more competition in the registry space and actually have the best registry win by making it really easy to switch registries and so our current tool chain say for our file packages on the gateway you can be on github releases today and switch to s3 tomorrow and then your own servers the next day without interrupting anything and with that capability of switching means that now the registries are competing for your business, for your usage by building the best product. And that's something that, you know, just directly serves the ecosystem to just have people innovate more and not incentivize stagnation and lock-in. Avi, is there anything else on this topic that you'd like to add or that you think listeners would be particularly interested in hearing? Yeah, I think maybe one point that I would like to make is that I see a lot of discussions in the open source space these days about tracking project health and tracking, you know, attempts to do these kinds of tracking, but really keeping it very focused on like contributor data and star data. And we've been kind of dancing around this point the whole time. And I just, you know, kind of want to underline it is that the value of an open source project is not how many stars it has and the value of the project is not even really necessarily how many contributors it has. The value in practice generally is how is this code getting used? Code is meant to be run <laughs> and things to be built with them. And I think it is my hope that maintainers will become more interested in measuring that and be more interested in the impact of their code in the world and to have more ownership over their code and to care more about how it gets distributed and yeah, to care about the sustainability of the ecosystem by just realizing how much leverage and ownership over the code just exists and how much of it is not theirs. Yeah, I think that's really all, all I'd want to add. But otherwise, I think this has been a very interesting and fun discussion. 
Excellent. And where can listeners connect with you, learn more, follow you? I personally, I'm on Twitter at Avi underscore press. You can also see what I'm up to on my website, avi.press. And to check out Scarf, we're at scarf.sh. We're also on Twitter and GitHub and just about every other social place. So feel free to look us up and drop us a line and come say hi. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great discussion. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cloud Native Startup. If you'd like to learn more about positioning, messaging, and go-to-market for open source and cloud native startups, head over to my blog, positioningopensource.com. You can also join the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Emily O'Meer, and you can feel free to reach out on Twitter or on my website and blog with questions or comments. If you enjoyed this episode, also please share and help more people discover this podcast. Thank you, and we hope to have you next week.